Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. Vets do this all the time. Faced with the stark prognosis of a beloved family friend with Cushing's, who will die unless he gets his daily bromocryptine, the vet recommends without qualms that the horse's owner conceals the foul-tasting tablet by burial deep within a carrot. Otherwise, presented with the undisguised drug, the horse would invariably reject it, dying a metabolic death. The benefits of covert treatment are uncontroversial and plainly outweigh the disadvantages in these circumstances. Following the same doctrine, parents who must get antibiotics into a toddler blithely conceal the medication in spoonfuls of jam. Yet such a deceit, practised by a doctor upon an adult with capacity, will be construed as an affront to the adult's right to choose which medicines to take, if any at all. For any medicine with noxious side effects, the foreseeable consequences of covert administration to an adult with capacity include the grave criminal charge of poisoning. Covert treatment in the shadow of these threats to reputation, employment and liberty seems immediately an unattractive prospect, even when executed with good intentions. Covert treatment of an adult with capacity is unlawful, at the very least, because there is no consent. Covert treatment of incapacitated adults is probably regularly and frequently practised and justified by the practitioners as in the patient's interests. But reported cases are very rare and consequently little instruction on the subject is available. About 20 years ago, the British Medical Journal reported a case where to calm a disturbed, physically strong 91-year-old man threatening his doctor with a walking frame Haloperidol, concealed in a cup of tea, was used to resolve the confrontation. The commentary asserted that this patient was cognitively intact, but this was written in an era when the formal diagnosis of incapacity was still developing, so whether he had capacity from the present perspective is unknowable. The patient's recurrent episodes of bombastic hypomania were eventually diagnosed as temporal lobe epilepsy, and anticonvulsant therapy coincided with the cessation of these attacks. Whilst the relevant regulators accepted that from the clinician's perspective this covert treatment was lawful, those governing the hospital sought a formal undertaking from the doctor that the practice of covert medication should not be repeated. Perhaps the board considered that a compulsory injection into a physically restrained patient was preferable. In the recent case of A.G., It transpired that a 92-year-old lady, whose dementia had destroyed her capacity to make decisions for herself, was being given thyroxin and diazepam covertly, without which, the court heard, she would become severely unwell, both mentally and physically. The court took the unusual step of setting out guidance for covert treatment of incapacitated adults. This includes full consultation with clinicians and family, explicit authorisation under the Mental Capacity Act and its current associated deprivation of liberty safeguards, together with a regular review of the decision to administer medications covertly. 
This judgment is welcomed. It permits clinicians who follow the guidance to provide humane, covert treatment to incapacitated adults, whilst ensuring that they are not tainted with the hint of complicity in an unauthorised deception of vulnerable patients whose care has been entrusted to them. I hope this was useful, but if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage, or type Clinical Law into a search engine.